2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. Are we starting the podcast now? Or? Oh, we've been on the podcast, my brother. <laughs> Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and I am so excited that you are here. Today's episode is incredible, and it's probably one of my favorite ones so far. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you about something that has just been released, uh, and it's called Wave One Free from Sin. And what it is, it's uh, Love Reality, which is a ministry that I work with, has put out a digital gospel presentation that is short videos and then um questions that you can ask, questions that frequently ask questions about the gospel that people can walk through and get an understanding of this message that has freed so many people. And it is now available to friends of the ministry. We're talking about our our circle, our inner circle, it's been open to them so that they can watch it and reach out to people and we can get this thing going by by word of mouth and um, just person to person sharing um, this message. And so um, if you've seen it, if you've been to a Love Reality tour and you heard Wave 1 or you've, you're, you're just curious about it, what you should do is go to youarefreefromsin.com and there will be a video there that you can watch and it will take you on your journey. That That is what will start you on your journey. Um, the, 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 the digital presentation is behind a password wall, but once you start watching that video from youarefreefromsin.com, it will take you through the steps. If you want to skip all that and you want to just direct message me on Instagram, um, I am riyoung31 on Instagram. You can direct message me and I will send you the link and the password. Uh, 
and um, you can you can get access to this this wave one, which is changing so many people's lives. So I wanted to to, to give that announcement at the beginning. And as we transition to the podcast, this is an interview with Dallas the Barber Noel, which um, I saw her uh, TikTok on Instagram, and it's 30 seconds of my life is different, and it was incredible. And so I found her on there and uh, reached out, and she was so gracious and and blessed us with uh, with this conversation where we get to hear this incredible testimony of of God's love. And I I know I say that at the beginning of every podcast, but this this one this girl has been loved by God and you will hear it. And I love it. And this is actually the first time I've done a podcast with somebody that I've never spoken with before until until the podcast. So I'm um, excited for you to hear it. And with that being said, buckle up, strap in. Uh, love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Yo, Richard, are you about to do the podcast? We just invite you here. We invite you into this time. We invite you into this conversation. Um, Lord, thank you for what you're doing in Richard. And I just appreciate you giving us the opportunity to share space and time together today. Lord, I just ask, I just ask for more of you and less of us and let us be the people who are sharing your message and doing your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, oh man, uh, I was cruising on Instagram and I don't know who shared it, but some friend of mine or somebody, maybe I actually think it was someone who had just recently started following, shared your, um, your reel. And I don't know if that, if you've had other stuff go viral or if that's one of the first main viral ones or whatever, but I saw that. And I was just blown away by it. And then I reached out to you and I'm just like, uh, the worst thing she could say is, is no. Cause, um, <laughs> because let me just give you real quick. The name of this podcast is death to life because as we have understood, Christianity is not behavior modification because if it was, that would be like, me walking up to you on the side of the road and you're dead because you've had heart problems and me <laughs> like giving you like a, a healthy living book and trying to like yeah, yeah. open the page and like, because we were dead in our transgressions and sins, we were dead and now we've been raised in newness of life. 
John 5 says that um, <laughs> we aren't to be judged because we've already gone from death to life. And uh, your story yeah, from that reel was just like death and then life. And I want to I, I want to go wherever you want to go from the story, from how far back you want to go. I just want to know I we got to start with the death and then you can transition me to the life and then I'll have some questions in there, I'm sure. But cool. Wh where do you want to start with with the death? Well, so I'm assuming from what you're talking about that you saw that my like testimony clip. Is that where this started? I think you have the brick wall behind you and you were like, I've been sober for this many days. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I've been, God, I'll be honest with you. Like I was, I'm old. I don't belong on TikTok. <laughs> but I was totally using TikTok. Um, someone sent me a funny video on there or something. And I I got a lot of stuff on my plate right now. Corona, uh, barbershop, all the ministry, all the things, right? So I was like using TikTok to kind of zone out at, at the end of the night. And God, bro, he came at me so strong and said, Dallas, you are using TikTok the exact same way you used alcohol and drugs. Oh. You are using it to ignore me. Mercy. And who I was like, oh no, okay. So, I mean, I deleted that mug so quick, but he, he was patient with me. He gave me about three days of grace and I just prayed on it. And I mean, I was just trying to repent to turn towards him from that and was like, I had no intention of doing that, but he spoke very clearly to me and said, I'm not asking you to delete it. I am asking you to use it for me. Mercy. And that's where that started. So I was like, all right, well, where do you, where do you want me? He just said, start, start encouraging people with your story. And, you know, so my first video on TikTok was so uncomfortable. I'm like, hi, my name's Dallas. I've been sober for this many days. And I, if no one's told you today, like, I'm proud of you for staying sober. And then the next, he, I he did it again the next day. All right. Hey, I'm Dallas. I've been sober for this many days. This is day two of me talking about sobriety and my walk with the Lord. And maybe after a couple of days, I said, Lord, how long do you want me doing this? You know what he said? Mercy. He said, time. Just time. I said, like, like a week or like a year, like I, I'm very organized. He just said time, just keep doing it. Okay. So now here we are, I don't know, maybe two, three months later. And there's, you know, 22,000 followers on my TikTok page and God's doing crazy stuff with it. Like it's, it's bananas. It doesn't make any sense, but I'm here for it. So that. This was all organic. Caught. This was all organic. Uh, like you didn't try yeah, to find 100%. anybody. You're just like nope. on there, people seeing the story and they're like, yo, that's Yeah. Yep. Oh. I just I I maybe follow a hundred people because I was, you know, I found Christian TikTok and then um yeah, just over like last month I had ten thousand followers in a month. It was nuts. And I'm just like, Hey Jesus, this is you. 
And now God has used TikTok to grow our recovery ministry. Now we're, because of TikTok, God has us ministering to people all over the world, not just the country, but the world. And they're coming into our um, recovery groups via Zoom because COVID, like it's crazy. He's wild. Mercy. Mercy. Yeah, dude. But that so, that's the that's literally death to life. Like I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was uh, an abused child, like sexually, mentally, physically. And God took my mess and created a message. Mercy. Like it's where where, uh, where did you grow up? Um, originally, I'm from Helena, Montana. Helena, Montana. Yes. And what? And like I said, feel free to say anything you want and leave anything that you. If I ask you something you're not comfortable, one hundred percent leave it out. But um, what kind of home did you grow up in? That your um, was was God at any part of your childhood or coming into your teens or what or who did you think about this person or if he even existed? So. I, I was born to drunk, abusive, addicted teen parents. Mercy. Um, that's how I was brought in. Right. Yeah. Like that's not a real nice start to a life for a kid. Um, my dad was doing everything he could to keep, keep bills paid. He was, you know, in college trying, he was trying to do the most. And I believe he was 19. My mom was like 15, 16, something like that. And, um, without getting into the nitty gritty of her story, it, she, she just wandered. All right. And we, my dad and I ended up without her. Um, so I talk about abandonment a lot. That's one of my, one of my deepest rooted mm -hmm. issues. Um, because of that, that's it, it. She, she bailed on us. She bailed on, on being a mom. She bailed on being a wife. Um, so growing up and having that as the start is, is not fun. And then, you know, coming, coming to age, understanding that I was not wanted by her, that there were other things that were more important to her than me. Was, was that like a front uh, of your mind thing or was that just like, Oh, all the time. Really? Like all you the time. knew you weren't wanted. You knew that you had yep. been set aside. Yeah. She had, she, she had chose her life over mine. That's, that's how I saw it. That's how I felt. That's what I was told by everyone around me. Your mom is a POS. She's a drug addict. Um, she was an alcoholic. Uh, my mom ran drugs for for gangs. I mean, she was prostituting. I mean, I was just told that I was nothing. And that if she had this kind of life and I wasn't valuable to her living like that, like I had no value. Mm. And then... Of course, you know, my dad suffered a lot of hurt because of this too. 
So there's my dad, young and trying to raise a little girl on his own when my dad comes from a very rough, abused background. So, I mean, there was a lot of hurt there just to just to start it off. But when you asked if I knew God, like the the real answer is no. There was religion around me. Um, but, uh, you know, put on your nice shoes and your dress and comb your hair and we go to church and raise our hands and praise the Lord. And then I'm going home at night and being abused. So God did, God was not there. He did not exist. This idea of church, like, cool, but like, why are all these things happening? I want it so bad, but then I'm going home and my life at home behind closed doors looks like this. It didn't make sense. And then um, or sometime in grade school, I thought there was like stepmoms in and out of here and it, just a hot mess. But I remember specifically sometime in grade school, I was kind of a latchkey kid. Um, you know, back in the, in those days, we didn't have cell phones and stuff. It was just like, no one's home. When you get home, you feed yourself and you figure it out. And I would often go to other people's houses um, after school. Like they had, I thought they were rich because they had gushers and, you know, (laughs) and like a refrigerator that dispensed water. So I was like, yeah, let's go to their house. This is rad. And I slept over at um, this girl's house and I thought, wow, okay, this is what a family is supposed to look like. There's a mom and a dad and we're all watching a movie together and, they're letting us make a, you know, pile of blankets on the floor. And this is so cool. And that night, um, that night I was at this girl's house. I was sexually abused by her father. Mercy. So the idea of a father did not hold weight for me. Mm-mm. I had already been completely abandoned by a woman who was supposed to be my mother. Um, so I felt like half of me was already gone. And then I have a <clears throat> a dad who's cold and distant and he's hurting. Um, I'm the product of that hurt. So I'm feeling like a little of it's being taken out on me because I have no understanding of his hurt at this point, you know. Then I'm searching for what, just show me an example of what a family looks like. And then... I I go in and I think I know what it looks like. And then I'm abused by this girl's dad. And it's like, I just went, okay, I guess this is what life looks like. And Mm. I just have to figure out a way to become okay with it or to control it. Um, So it, I mean, I, my, my dark stuff started really young. Um, There was always a thing like going to church. I felt I felt the Holy spirit on me at a very young age. It was just at that time. I didn't know what that was. Right. Like Did now I can look back. Take you? Did your dad take you to church or what was, it was more being there. It was more my grandparents. Like I've had a praying grandmother my whole life. That woman was praying over me when I was in the womb and she shared now that I'm older, she shared visions that God gave her, um, about me and about my life when I was young. 
So I have always had a praying grandmother from behind the scenes that was fighting for me in the spirit. And I mean, I, I give a lot of who I am today and just literally me being alive because she would not give up. That woman never gave up. There's going to be so many people in the kingdom of heaven because of their mothers and their grandmothers prayers. Amen. It's, it's a different kind of love and it all comes from our father in heaven, but he has Jesus and he gives that to these mothers. And I have two kids and I love my kids dearly. My wife loves them in a different way and she prays for them in a different way. And my mother loves my kids in a different way. And it's just that prayer. Like, let's not forsake that. Let's like, don't give up with, with, with praying and interceding for, for people. That's beautiful. Well, and the faith that it took for my grandmother to look at my life and, and know, right. She knew what my life looked like. It was her son. She knew what my life looked like. That was her daughter-in-law. But to hold on to that faith of but truly believing that what God showed her about me would come to pass, like that was years, bro. Like I'm 34. I'll be 35 this year. I didn't walk fully back into to my my calling, like really walk into relationship with Jesus until I was 30 years old. She spent 30 years on her knees in the spirit over my life. Like that. And there's been other people along the way too, who I took so much time to push away and push away. Um, my pastor, Pastor Kenny Carlson, he he's the same way. It was like, I was doing everything I could to get him back up, back up, bro. And those people were literally me, the paralyzed man on the mat. And they prayed so hard that they carried me to where Jesus was. They climbed the roof. They tore the tiles back. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they believed in God's calling on my life when I didn't. They ripped the tiles down and they dropped me right in front of Jesus and said, we'll stay right here and we'll watch. Like we can't carry you anymore, but we got you to his feet. And now I know he's going to do what he's going to do. And I know that you're going to receive it. Wow. Mercy. So your, uh, your, your grandmother is a praying lady. You're, you're going to church with her. You're entering high school. Your value is not very much in your opinion. Uh, what did you make of all of this as you start moving into high school? Well, like late, late middle school is when is when I saw drinking and drugs all the time when I was growing up. Um, but late middle school is when other other kids my age were like starting to kind of mess around there, right? And I had sexual trauma too, so. So there was that 
I just wanted to be wanted. I wanted to be valued. Mm. And I was, I was just giving it away because that's what I was seeing. If you, if you want to be valued, you have to do certain things um, to be valued by others. So, you know, drinking was involved early. Um, Drugs were involved early. Uh, I hadn't, I hadn't lost my virginity, but I was, I was doing sexual acts and my mind was just so, so messed up because of what happened to me that I, I didn't only think that I knew there was just so much shame attached to it, Hmm. but it wasn't only that I knew that it was not right. It was that I, I thought it was expected of me. So at this point, your relationship with God is so-so, but there was still shame, even though you weren't overly a religious person or a spiritual person, doing these things, the drinking, the uh, the sexual stuff that was still putting something on you, huh? 100%. And I, I mean, like I said, I know now looking back that the Holy Spirit was calling to me since childhood. But I often, I just spent periods of time doing whatever I could to block out the stuff in my real life that was around me. And then now I recognize I was also using and abusing myself and things around me to quiet God because I've failed at everything else. Like I couldn't even keep my mom around. I couldn't keep my dad happy. I... I couldn't, I I would do certain things and then these people would bail. So, so if God had something that he wanted to say to me, ultimately I was going to fail at that too. Right. So I'd just rather not hear it because then I'm in control of it. Like you, I can't fail you if I quit. Yeah. We, we have to play these games and it wasn't so recently that I realized that the guilt, condemnation, and shame that I felt when doing something. Like, I used to think that was God putting it on me, so I would come back to him. And then I realized through just truth that, no, that was the enemy trying to position me as less than, where the Holy Spirit is saying, Dallas, you're my daughter. Dallas, you're yeah, 100%. You, you created, like, to be holy, blameless, above reproach. You've always been my daughter. And the enemy's going, this is your value. Unless you do this with this person, he won't be able to offer value. Unless you go over here, you won't be able. And sometimes we confuse them, and then that paints God in an even worse picture. You're like, oh, I don't want anything to do with him because he's putting this thing on me. While the whole time, it's always been the enemy trying to position you as less than, trying to position you as less than. A hundred percent. I mean, he he knew that if I was isolated, I I wasn't a threat. I wasn't an issue if I was isolated and isolation was my favorite thing because then I could be alone in my thoughts and I could imagine myself somewhere else. I could imagine me controlling my life and making the decisions I wanted to make, uh, doing the things I wanted to do, but none of that had anything to do with God. Right. And then, you know, meanwhile, I'm in and out of church and doing things here and there and, Um, 
then stuff started freshman, freshman, sophomore year. Um, I was a stud in sports. <laughs> like I was a baller. I did track. I did powerlifting. Like I was a stud. And that was something that I shared with my dad. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I was, I was super into, I was a weird kid, bro. Like total jock. But then behind the scenes, I'm smoking and drinking. So I'm, I'm cool with all those kids too. But then I'm also into drama and choir, right? So I made no sense. I basically would just like sprinkle on a little bit of everything. But then I was also severely abused. So I was a fighter. Like I was that girl that like my dad always taught me, if someone steps to you, you make mm-hmm. sure everybody around you is watching and let them let them attack, but you finish it and you make sure everybody sees so then nobody's messing with you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I got down. So it was like I had this weird – some people were terrified of me. Then other people were – like she weirdly stands up for kids who are bullied, but then she's also a jock, but then she's also like – kind of dating one of the biggest drug dealers in the school. Like it, it just made zero sense. And things just started to really spiral. This is now my dad's second marriage and the wife that he had at the time, like it was not, it was not good. It was not healthy. I was starting to run away and like literally run away. And all of a sudden I, I was being told that I was going to be taken to Spokane and this didn't make any sense to me. And I'm trying to formulate this in my mind. Like what, why would you take me there? Like, why would you bring me there? And my dad said something at the time that like, we have a great relationship now. I love that dude so much, but like at the time it, it cut me in half. He said, you look just like her and now you're acting just like her. So Mm. I physically was now maturing and I looked just like my mom when my mom was the age 15, when they, you know, met and got together and everything started to break apart in his world. And now I look like her and I'm doing the things that she was doing at that age. So my mom's in Spokane, Washington, and she's now been clean and sober for, I think this year it's like 20, 23, 24 years that she's been clean and sober. But to my grandma and my dad, what they knew of her was what they saw and what she would tell them. And, you know, she's working with women in recovery and blah, 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 all these things. So in their mind, that was the best option for me was, well, Carrie's been through this. So let's send Dallas there and she'll know how to level with her and get her better. Hmm. And, uh, Like I, I literally just got dropped off here. So now I've been abandoned by my mom. Mm -hmm. I've been struggling for 15 years with that. And now 
the only person who I've spent my whole life trying to connect with and prove myself to and feel loved by my dad. He is now abandoning me for another woman. This is in my eyes, right? For this other woman and her kids. So he's going to choose a new family and a new life. And then he is not only going to abandon me, but he's going to abandon me back to the woman who hurt me the most. Mercy. So that just like created a... Did your hurt turn into anger for for your Oh, bro. Bro, I didn't speak to him for two years. How did he handle Two years. How, how did he handle No that? idea at the at the time, no idea. He I mean that that's where I learned a lot of the coping mechanisms that I had, right? We don't talk about it. We just we just kind of dust that under the rug, you know, pat on pat on the pat on the back and let's go eat a steak and and medicate play some it ball. With, uh, medicate it with whatever alcohol or any Yeah, other whatever. Things. Like we just we don't hug, we don't talk, we you don't talk about that like man up. And that that's just how I that's how I always was. So basically inside my heart I had this gigantic 50 gallon hefty bag that every time something happened, I would just stuff it in that bag and tie that bag back shut. Little did I know that 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 bag can only stretch so far, you know? And then when I got here to Spokane, I, uh, the fighting increased because now I come from this town where I've never seen really, really seen a, a homeless person. I've never had experience with other cultures Um, I end up at North Central High School where I'm the minority, uh, as a, as a white female, right? There's other white kids, but most of them are Russian. There's Hispanic people. There's African-American people. I'm like in this culture shock. I have no idea what's going on. And I immediately got into the wrong crowd and just tried to, to just make my way. Mm -hmm. It was just the weirdest thing. I hated my dad. I didn't want to talk to him, but I also had no interest in figuring out who my mom was. Like I'm a, I'm a woman now and you want to step in and be my mom after 15 years of 16 years of not knowing anything about you. You don't know me. Mm -hmm. You don't get to come in and play mom now. So I was angry, dude. I was angry and I was hurt and I was just going to make my own way. So I ended up, I was dealing dope. I was partying. I was doing all this crazy stuff, but I still felt the Lord. Hmm. Like I still felt the Holy Spirit talking to me in, in really dark moments but then in also sober moments. And that is really when my like drinking and drug use took its first like humongous leap because I could hear him in moments of um, like when you're at that buzz point, right? You're not, you're not too far. He would speak to me there, but I didn't want to hear it. So I would 
push past and I would go to the point of blackout because I, Hmm. that was the only way I could shut it off all the way was like, Oh, I hear you talking to me, but like, I've got so much junk, like I'm too far gone. So I'm going to, I'm going to push it all the way past and, and completely let go. So I can't hear you. And that, that was like me doing that and me hanging out with the crowd I was hanging out with led me to my first like big serious encounter with jail. Um, I, some, you know, some party and we're there and yada, yada. I, I knew it was bad. It was all bad, but I was, I just felt like something bad was going to go down and Dude, I I get emotional talking about it now because like I just can't I just can't believe the places that I was and imagining like my one of my sisters doing what I was doing like that's Mm. terrifying and I'm also just so thankful because God literally protected me from so much. Wow! But we were at this house party and I'm selling dope and kind of vibing stuff out and all of a sudden this big fight breaks out and I watched a guy get curb stomped and I thought he was dead and you know we jump in the cars and we're all like we got to get out of here and not that long goes by and there's a a big warrant out for my arrest and burglary attempted homicide uh violent assault, like all these things. Right. And I've, I've got this warrant out for my arrest and I don't, I'm like, what is going on? So I'm trying to call the homies and figure out what to do because you don't snitch, right? Loyalty is a big thing on the streets. And I know it was these two dudes that caused all of this stuff. I was just there, but when you're there, you're guilty too. And they just said the same thing that I'd always been told. You keep your mouth shut. And one of them said, if I find out that you rolled, I'll kill you. Mm. So I said, all right. And I went in, turned myself in and I kept my mouth shut. That was, that was one of the scariest experiences. How old were you? Because I knew I, was in there and I didn't belong there, but I also knew like I had to be, I had to be hard. And because what was the alternative that I'd get back out and I say something and then I'm dead. Like, so I just kept my mouth shut. I was in there for a long time. Okay. A long time. Ain't nobody trying to come bail me out, especially not on a rap sheet like that. Like that was a lot of money. And, um, this random attorney ends up coming down there. I don't know. This is like weeks later. You're just waiting for your trial. You're just waiting for trial. You're not even, this is jail, not prison or anything like that. Yeah. I'm just chilling. Cause I, no one knows. I don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going on. I just have this warrant out cause I'm involved and they're still trying to figure it all out, but I'm not saying anything. And, um, this attorney shows up and my, I don't have money for an attorney. You know, I'm old, poor dude. And this attorney shows up and is like, listen, I, I heard about you. 
and I know you're, you don't belong here. And I said, okay, so what? And he said, all like, all you have to do is tell me what happened. I'm going to get you out of here because I know you don't belong in here. Hmm. You're from Montana. Like you just got here, blah, blah, blah. You're with this, this dude that has a rap rap sheet from here to freaking Timbuktu. Mm -hmm. You don't belong here. What, what are you doing? I said, I got, I got nothing to say. Like, I didn't understand that he was there to help me. I just was so terrified that I was like, nah, I gotta, I gotta keep my mouth shut. But he ended up, he's like some high end lawyer around here. And I'll tell you the truth. I still think about him to this day. And I hope that at some point I can find him and tell him, thank you. Mm. Um, but he took, he took my stuff on pro bono and he got, he got everything dismissed because I didn't belong there. Right. Mercy. And, um, but I was still playing the game. I was still playing the streets. Like he came and got me out. And then I call, I got out. I found out that everyone else had been bailed out and I'd been in there for weeks longer than everyone else involved. And I called and said, well, Hey, like, I know that they're looking for you and this is what they say you look like. So shave your head and do these things. And I went right back to what I was doing before. Cause that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of shook me up. And so I started to go back to church. Um, like, I don't really want this life, but I don't know what else is out there. So I just started to, to try church again and I started to get really involved and I started to really like it. And I'm going to college group and I'm doing all these things. And then, uh, so now we're fast forward a few years. We're like 20, 21 in there somewhere. And I'm sold out. I'm like, okay, God, I'm having serious conversations with him. Like, I want to give you everything. I, I want to change my life. I want to give you everything I've got. I, I feel like I'm starting to know who you are and you know how we do that. We like make these deals with God. Mm. And that's totally what I did. I said, I'm going to make an appointment to talk to this pastor at, at Life Center Church. That's where I was going. And um, I'm going to tell him kind of my story and I'm going to tell him where I'm at. And I'm going to ask if I can, what I can do, like if I can serve here, if I can get involved here, because that's, you know, what you were taught, like be of service. So, and that's in my heart. So I make this appointment and I laid it all out. And I was like, they had college housing at the time and I wanted to get into one of the houses with a bunch of Christian girls. And this was all very weird for me. Um, I want to get involved with the youth, like in literally anything. I said, bro, I'll scrub toilets. If that's what you want me to do. I just know I need to serve here. And again, in retrospect, I had no idea that what was going on in this guy's life, but I told him all of this. And he just said, yeah, just keep hanging out and keep showing up and we'll see what happens. Was there, so that was like, was there something that, was it just the fact that your life was before this kind of going downhill that you're just like, there just needs to be a change. And I think that church is a part of this. And then just being in church kind of kept drawing you. Was that the thing that kind of was bringing you back? Just the fact like, 
I got to turn around somewhere. Yeah. Cause I could, I could just remember all these times when I knew he was talking to me and I said, everyone else bails. So like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna see, Hmm. I'm just going to see. And I'd never seen other kids my age, like living that way. So I said, let's just see. But then I was like completely rejected by this pastor. Right. Hmm. So I said, I walked out of the building that day and I, I said, I will never, ever walk back in here again, ever. So I was kind of thing. Another. Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. And especially when I, you know, came to God and said, like, I'll give you everything I have. I'll change everything. I'll, I'll serve you. I'll, I'll give you my life. I'll do whatever I've got to do. Just make it look like this. And I wasn't rejected by God. I was rejected by that man, but I didn't see it like that because I had so many daddy issues that I took that as, okay, God's rejecting me too. So go back out. And that's what I did. I, I ran back out into the world and I had, you know, nine more years of, of crazy. And we know what that looks like when you you know enough and then you go back out again. It There's a lot of stuff that God never intended for me to go through. But because I made that choice, I came out with a lot more scars than I should have had. But um, that it, it was rough, but there there's still so much grace there because. So let's just say eight, eight years of running again. Same, same story, different details, same story though. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm just older and I can do more like legally, you know, so I'm bartending and s- drug scene, doing all the things. And then I start hearing him knock again. And now I'm like, I'm a barber and I'm running my own business and my life looks different. And and people start talking to me about did you start God again value from your like now that you're a grown up and you're making grown up decisions and you're making some money was that something that maybe kept you cuz you're kind of figuring it out for yourself a little bit was that something that yeah, kept you uh, from coming back a little bit I, no i think i think i started to to feel i felt some amount of self worth Mm-hmm. which allowed me to open up enough, just enough, just like a the smallest crack. And, and God spoke to me in those dark places. He did it in weird ways that was very personal. I continued to ignore him, but, um, but I knew there was something there. So now I've met my, my husband and, um, we're, we're dating and I'd basically been, been told that I couldn't have kids. Um, like my, I'd just been through so much stuff, drugs and alcohol and abuse and all these things that my, my body just doesn't work how it's supposed to. And I, I was like kind of coming to terms with that. Now I met Matt and Matt wanted, that was like a big thing when he was seven, his dad said, 
what do you want to be when you grow up? And he's like, I want to be a dad. Mm. So I knew that that was something on this guy's heart and I didn't want to waste any of his time. But I was like, this is the guy, like, this is him. No dudes make me sweaty, bro. Like I'm, I'm about my stuff. Mm -hmm. And this guy, I was like, Oh Jesus, you're wrecking me with this guy. Like what is going on? So I just kept it real with him and told him, I think it was like our second date. And I just said, here's my stuff. Some of it. Um, I just want to let you know this. And he was the first person that ever said, he said to me, if you can't have kids and I can't be a dad, but that means that I get you, I choose it. Hmm. And I was just like, whoa, there's this, this man that thinks I'm amazing and that sees value in me and he doesn't expect anything from me. He just wants to be around me. Like that felt weird. That mm. felt different. And he's kind and so loving and he's caring and he's like, we have very reverse roles stereotypically. Like I'm very masculine in that sense. And he's, he's just soft and kind and gentle. And I was like, so hardened and, but and, and I'll tell you, Matt's not a believer, but God has been using my husband for the past five years to soften me. And it's been amazing. So we ended up dating and going, yeah, let's do this. And two months after we met, I found out I was pregnant. Oh, mercy. Uh, yeah. So that to most women would be like, yay. Um, I was like, no. I mean, this was the last thing that I wanted because now I'm trying to get right with God, right? Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden I'm pregnant. I'm not married. Um, I'm, I'm angry. I like my professional career is blowing up and now my whole life is going to change and look different and it was not good. So I have my kid. Amazing. He's amazing. But I was pounded down with postpartum depression and I had no idea what that was. So I struggled with that for 18 months. Mercy. And what do I know to do? I know to turn everything off. Ignore and stuff it and isolate. So even though I had been on this path of like bettering my life, here comes old stuff. And I'm having these thoughts that the boys would be better off without me. And mm. I'm, I'm going to work all day, but then I'm coming home at night and waiting for them to go to sleep. And then I'm drinking myself to sleep because I can't figure out what's happening in my mind and in my heart. And, I ended up going, disappearing for like three days. And I was just, I went on a runner. I don't, I don't even know. And I got home from that and Matt was done. He was done. Mm. He got my son and him and they left in the morning. And I kind of came to and came out of my, crawled out of my hole. And I went in the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I just said, 
I just said, God, I'm like, I want to die. And if you won't let me die, then make it so I can die to myself and I can really just finally fully give everything to you because I can't, I can't live like this anymore. Like whatever it takes, if you won't let me physically die, because that's what I was doing for three days. I just thought that I could just disappear and I wanted to, but then there I was staring at me again. And I just said, whatever it takes, like just kill my flesh so I can see you. Mm. And that was the first day that I didn't drink. Um, I've got a bunch of siblings from my mom that I hadn't had good relationships with. And my this one sister specifically, she was now a pastor at Life Center, the church that I said I would never go back into. Mm-hmm. But her and I had been working really hard at repairing our relationship. And she called me up and said, "Would you, I'm preaching at church for the first time. Would you come? Hmm. And instantly I'm like, I said I would never go back in there ever. But I felt compassion enough towards her that I would sacrifice my comfortability and go in there for the sake of our relationship. Hmm. So here I am again, finding myself outside of a life center situation going, all right, God, I'm going to make you another deal. Hmm. And I said to him, I'll go back in there one time because of Shelby, my sister. Um, and I just asked him to meet me there. Hmm. I had such bad anxiety at this time and the postpartum depression was crippling and but I was committed to going for my sister. I think she asked me a month and a half in advance. I came up with 10 million excuses to not show up. (laughs) And then the day came and my husband had my back and he's like, okay, let's go. And we walked in, went and put my kid in the daycare center and life center is a big church. It's the biggest church here in town. Mm -hmm. Um, I walked in and I walked straight to the front row and sat down because in my mind, if I couldn't see who was behind me, it was just me and my sister, whoever was in front of me, that's who I had to focus on. Mm -hmm. So usually you'd hide in the back, but my anxiety said, go to the front so you don't see anybody. So I did. We start to worship and I was just like riddled with anxiety, but we begin to worship and I just, Worship has always been a place where, where I was safe mm-hmm. and I, I begin to sing and worship is kind of wrapping up. And I always know they're that church that's like, shake hands with your neighbor and tell them what you ate for dinner last night. And I hate that, bro. Mm-hmm. Like my anxiety hates that. So they're, I know that's coming cause they've always done it. And I'm just like looking around, making sure no one's looking at me cause I'm just going to sit right. And I feel this tap on my shoulder and there's this lady a couple rows back and she, she said, are you Dallas? 
And I said, yeah. She goes, I, I need to talk to you after this service. Okay. And I'm just like, oh crap, I'm done. I don't remember a single thing that was said in that service. I don't remember if my sister did a good job or not. I have no idea. Cause all I could think about was what does that lady want? Mercy. Like, what did I do? What is she going to say? So we get services wrapping up and I'm in my mind just planning how I'm going to bolt to go get my kid and avoid this woman. And there's my husband. He goes, I'll go get him. I know you wanted to chat with that lady. And I'm like, <laughs> like I don't want to chat with this lady. But she finds me and she just says, yeah, you're, you're Dallas. I said, yeah, you probably, and I had a bad attitude. I'm like, yeah, you probably know me because my mom, because everyone knows my mom. She's like, uh, no, huh? I said, oh, because of my sister that was just preaching. She's a preacher here. No, I, I don't know your sister. Anyways, um, I, I recognized your voice. And I said, what? She goes, when we started worshiping, I heard you singing and I recognized your voice. I was so confused, dude. She said, listen, I'm not from Spokane. I'm from Seattle. And I was driving through. God told me to stop in Spokane. So I stopped. I went and got a hotel. And it's Saturday night. I go to service. Service was on Saturday nights. This lady said, I stopped. I got the hotel. I got in the hotel. And God said, go to church. So she got on Google. And she looked up services that were on Saturday night. Life Center's the only one. So she said, okay, God told me to come to church. So here I am. And as I was driving, he said, I have something for you to say to somebody. Just wait. So here she comes into Life Center Church, sits down and hears me singing. And God just started downloading some stuff onto her. Turns out that this lady had heard me 10 years prior. So right before I walked out and said, I'm done, she had heard me perform at uh, some kind of woman's seminar, um, which is random because my mom was the keynote speaker for that seminar. And I sang at it. She said, as soon as worship started, she heard me singing and she knew that I was who God sent her to speak to. Oh man, I'm sobbing, dude. I'm sobbing. And she goes, Dallas, God told me to tell you that he was using your voice back then and he still has use for your voice. He still wants to use your voice. You just have to give it to him. Bro, I was wrecked. I was wrecked. Like, that's too personal. That's too crazy. That's, that's too private for God to send a woman from another city to literally drive to me to tell me, I remember hearing your voice and was moved by your voice 10 years ago. So God chose me to come and tell you that he still wants to use you. Like, dude, crazy. That's crazy. So we hugged, she shared some verses with me and I, I, you know, I know the plans I have for you yeah. there to prosper you, not to harm you. Yeah. That's what she shared with me. And I said, 
I, I got outside, I got in the car and I just lost it. And I said, okay, God, I'll go back one more time. I'll go back next week. And then I went back next week. And then I went back next week. Yeah. And then I went back next week. And now two and a half years later, I've been sober almost two years. I'm a recovery pastor and I'm running a, a full-time national recovery ministry out of my barber shop. Like, yeah, God what? wanted to use my voice. What? He's bananas. Like he will speak personally. And this is something that's so rad. Like he, I just, he keeps speaking to me. Matthew 3, 8, it says, prove by the way you live your life that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove by the way you live your life. And he's just giving me a chance every day to just show people and show him that, that he did take my mess and is still writing a message with it. Mercy. I'm, I'm thinking of you in the bathroom. And you're looking in the mirror, right? And you're saying, yes. God, won't you kill my flesh? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about that moment, and it takes me to <clears throat> takes me to Romans 6, um, verse 3. Do you not know <clears throat> that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Mm-hmm. I used to read that, and I used to think that that resurrection was um, when Jesus comes again at the end of time. No. I didn't, I didn't understand it. And Yeah. When I used to think, like, God, take care of my sin, or God, take care of my addiction, or God, heal me, or God, <clears throat> maybe making deals here and there. And because it sounds like you didn't have this understanding, you're looking in the mirror, and you're like, God, do this thing. And God's like, done. I did it 2,000 years ago. Yeah. And when you believe, you rise in newness of life. And so you're this new creature. God has already done it, right? He's done it for everybody because he did it. Well, everybody alive, everybody that's ever been born, everybody that's going to be born. He did it 2000 years ago. He forgave us once for all time. And his sacrifice was enough for everybody. And we're wandering around wanting to get healed, wanting to dealing with sin. And we're trying to figure out sin in our lives. We're trying to figure out why we're, de- and meanwhile, Jesus has taken care of all of it already. And we get to take part in it when we believe. Yeah. So you're looking in this mirror and you're like, do this thing. And God's like, done. Done. It was this process of me having to understand 
and him just gently bringing me there of a, you are not an alcoholic. Mercy. You are not a drug dealer. You are not an addict. You are not a victim. You are my child. Like I knitted you together in your mother's womb for this moment. Like for this moment, because I knew at some point that you would come back to me and every piece of, of brokenness inside of you, it's as if people think I'm nuts when I say this and I don't care. God has entrusted me with those broken pieces because he knew at some point that I would spiritually mature enough to give those broken pieces to other people, hmm. to use them to help other people that I wouldn't continue to just stuff them inside that hefty bag and, and let that garbage bag explode that I would open the bag and one by one, I would start sifting through this stuff with him. And I would allow him to show me that I'm not an alcoholic. I abused alcohol because I was abandoned, but God will heal, can heal, and does heal my abandonment every day. Mm. I was not abusing drugs, or I was not an addict. I was abusing drugs to feel something because I hadn't let him come in and show me what he feels like. Mercy. It, it took some time, bro, but like now, it, I mean, it's so amazing. There's parts of me that are so healed that I remember that it hurt, but I don't remember what it felt like that, that it's just amazing how God, God can do that. Like he, he is, he had me sitting in certain places so I can responsibly go back and sit next to another woman in that place. Mercy. Because that, I mean, that's a thing, right? Like if there's women that will never, ever, there's men and women, there's humans that will never listen to someone talk about Jesus and what Jesus has done in their life because their life doesn't look like the life of this other person, right? Mm. That's such a human thing to say. Like you can't ever, you couldn't understand. You don't get it because you don't know. Mm. So God has entrusted me with my story because he knew that I would end up right here and he knew I would give him control over my brokenness and allow him to use me to bring his truth to other people that are sitting in the same brokenness that I spent 30 years in. Wow. Like this is true of recovery, but this is also true of our faith. When recovery or faith involves only changes in your external behavior without internal changes, without heart changes, there's a constant threat of 
relapse or backsliding. Mm -hmm. So we've got to, right? Like faith without works is dead. Mm. We we're just given the salvation, but I want the transformation. Okay. I'm not satisfied with just salvation. I I'm not here to just, Jesus got me. I'm going to keep messing up, keep asking him to crawl back up on that cross every single time that I don't feel like I've got it in me, or I don't want to put my, some weight on my faith. Hmm. Like, "Mm, Jesus, here I am again. You better crawl back up there and show me how much you care. Like I'm done with that. I'm done with that. Like I'm, I'm willing to put my crap down. I'm willing to sacrifice some real stuff in my life to let other people see what Jesus looks like. Man, let me ask you this question, and I have to set it up a little bit. Before he created planet Earth, he had you in mind to be holy, blameless. He had given you, he says, you you have every spiritual blessing in him, but he's always predestined you to stand righteous before him. Then, because of one man's sin, sin entered the world, and through sin, death. So you were... Your original value, your original destiny was lost, but you were still a daughter, but your destiny and your value was confused because of this one man's sin. It wasn't even your fault. It was one man's sin a long time ago. And so similar to the prodigal, he's a son from the beginning and you were a daughter from the beginning. Something gets lost and we leave. And we're out here, and at some point we stop considering ourselves kids. We stop considering ourselves our father's kids, and it's probably around the time where we're just really messing it up. And yeah. we say, "I just uh, you're you're in the mirror, and you say I want to go back, but I can't go back as a daughter. Can I go back? I I can go back like this, like take this." But he never stopped seeing you as a daughter. No. Not once. He never stopped seeing you as a daughter. You were his daughter when you were fooling around with drugs and alcohol. You were his daughter when you were always his daughter. And when he sees you coming, he doesn't ask if you'd like to try on the robe of righteousness. No, he just handed it. Take the robe of righteousness. Take the ring. Yep. And so what you were saying earlier about I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not an addict. When did, and maybe maybe it was just, walk me through when your identity stopped being what you had done and started being what you had always been from the beginning of time. When I started actually, so this was, this was Pastor Kenny, my dude, the one who I was talking about earlier. Right. Like when I started going back to, to Life Center, um, I got connected with Pastor Kenny and he's, he's one of my best friends now, man. Like I love this guy so much, but he, he had, he had it in him to share his story and with me and be real about it. Like, I mean, I don't know if you could tell, but I keep it real. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't sugarcoat. I don't care because mm-hmm. I know what God can do. Mercy. So Kenny's like that. And he just got real about stuff and he told me about his life and he now my husband, right? Like he was showing me, God was using him to show me that not all men are the same. Hmm. 
God used Kenny to show me that not all pastors are the same, Mm. that there has been an abuse of, of power in the church. There's been manipulation in the church. Um, but not, not everyone looks like that. And God just gave me so much hope through Kenny because when I first got to know him, I was still drinking. Like I was trying, I was walking, but I was still drinking. Kenny knew that Kenny ain't dumb. Okay. He knew, but he Mm -hmm. did not give up on me. Mm -hmm. And finally, at some point, Kenny's been, um, Kenny's been clean like seven years, I think. And, but he'd never really walked through recovery. Um, his, his like coming around was different, but we started to talk about it. And there was this like thing called celebrate recovery. And I was just at the point where I was, I'll try anything, right? I'm, I'm sold out to God. So I'll try anything. I'm going to church and church isn't enough. Like it's not getting down there and like figuring out what the issues are. So I had another drunk night, woke up feeling ashamed and then called Kenny and was like, all right, I'll do it. I'll go. Cause I kept, he kept asking me if I wanted to go out there with him, but I said, no, I'm not ready for that. But I finally called him up and said, listen, I'll go, but you have to go with me. I literally need you. I need you to hold my hand. I need you to be there with me. So when we went out to CR, God gave me this space because in, in Spokane, a lot of people know me, um, because of my business and my background and social media. And, you know, a lot of people know who I am and God gave me this space out there because it's like deep in the valley. Nobody knows who I am. And I spent like a month out there just figuring it, figuring it out from God's perspective and uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to start truly speaking to me because this is now I'm sober, right? I haven't been drinking. I'm, my mind is starting to clear. My emotions are very tangible and he just kept sending people that were saying the wildest things to me like the jesus this one this woman said there's so much jesus on you i just want to drink it with a straw and i'm like <laughs> what like this lady's crazy cuz i'm out here thinking i'm hiding but she's seeing jesus on me but she's not seeing Dallas the barber. She's just seeing Jesus in this woman. And enough people started to talk to me like this that I started to believe it. Mercy. And and he just slowly began to whisper that to me. Like, you aren't an alcoholic. You used alcohol to hide from me. But I see you and mm. I still love you. I loved you then. I love you right now. Like nothing that you did ever, ever took you away from me. Listen, the devil yells at us. I can be so far away from the devil and hear him clear as day because he screams, he yells. 
When people say, I can't hear God or God is far from me. When people feel like that, that is most of the time when he is the closest to you. But Jesus whispers. He Mm. whispers because he's trying to draw you closer. Mm. And when I began to realize that, like he's been here the whole time. He's been so close, but he was whispering and I was doing things to mute him. Now I can hear him and so clearly. And he just said flat out, he said, I will give back. I will give back everything the enemy stole. He will repay you sevenfold and you will go into the enemy's camp and get what he stole from you. Then you will lead others there to get what he stole from them. Like you are, I've always had like issues with my personality. Like you're too loud. You're too harsh. You're, you know, all the things that they say about women that are, you're aggressive, you're all these things, right? I always, I, now I'm like trying to follow God and I'm like, oh, all these things about me are bad. Like I've always been a hustler. Jesus just, he was so gentle with me, but he said, girl, you are created in my image. Do you think I made a mistake? Mm -hmm. Because that's what you're saying. You're saying that I made a mistake with how I made you. Mm. Like, hear me when I say, I make no mistake. Mm -hmm. You are an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You are bold. You are uh, passionate. You are like, be too much. He said, you've had all these things in you because I put them there. You've Mm. just been using them for the world and for yourself. And I am calling you to use them for me. Mercy. Yeah, there's any personality trait that you had, if you used it in the flesh, could have been horrible and probably was. But now that you're in the spirit, like any personality trait that, so the personality trait isn't the thing that's good or bad. It's selfishness. Selfishness is bad. So in your old life, defending and protecting and building up walls and isolating because you believed this lie that fear was a real thing because you hadn't been perfectly loved. And now as you're walking in truth, you've been perfectly loved and perfect love casts out all fear. And so now that same personality trait is got this thing on it and it's used to glorify your father in heaven. And now you're a city on a hill. Now you're the salt of the earth and people see you and they glorify God. Uh, when people see you, because when I first saw you, I'm like, oh, you know, what's the first thing that people are going to notice? They're going to notice your arms. They're going to notice your, your your tats. And they're probably going to be like, okay, yeah, don't tell me what they're going to be like. Tell me what they're like when people see you and then you start speaking life over them and you start speaking truth about how God loves them so much. What's that like? Listen, most of the time, it's like a 50-50 split. Let's be honest. Uh, 50% of the time, it's that, you know, beat you with Leviticus. And then 50% of the time, it's, um, wow, it's so cool to see a, a Christian that doesn't look like a Christian. Mercy. Like, that's whack. But, but that's the thing, though. Like, I'll, I'll take it all day. People. I mean, let's, let's clear the air. Let's make sure that everyone knows where I'm at. 
Mm-hmm. I was getting tattooed before I followed the Lord with my whole life. And mm-hmm. I still get tattooed. The way that I look allows me, allows me to mm-hmm. witness to people that would never hear about him. Mercy. I am the only Bible that a lot of people will read. Yeah. And some people need a picture book, bro. You hear me? Mercy. Like some people need a picture book. Now, do I get images on my body that aren't glorifying to God? No, I don't. Everything mm. on me points to him in some way. But so like even some of your older tattoos that you may have got when you were, I don't know the, the story on all your tattoos, but like when you look at them from a time, from a different time, from the, the day. I can out. tell you where God was in my life. Yeah. hundred wow. percent. That's awesome. hundred percent. Wow, that's awesome. No, yeah, people. Um, you, you we we all have our nets down, right? And not all the fish are going in mine, and not all the fish are going in yours. But exactly. If, but if we all have our nets down, like I, I've had an abrasive personality. I've had maybe I still have an abrasive personality, uh, and there's some people they vibe with what I'm saying and they can hear me. And, and I, it, with people that have personalities that are on, on an extreme, like I said, the personality isn't wrong, but it's just maybe more extroverted or all the way introverted. Um, people will either vibe with that or not. And there are specific people just like this, this sweet old lady rolls into the life center and says, you're, you're it. You're the reason why I'm, I'm here. Like, yeah, that's what we are for other people. And it's a privilege. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the deal. Like, we're all created in God's image, but you look different than me. Mm-hmm. So once someone can once someone can grasp that we are all created in his image, then you can begin to meet new parts of God. Wow. Because I I have stuff that you don't have. That means literally that God wants to show you himself in a new way through a different person. Hmm. We don't, we never really get like to the fullness. We're never going to get his fullness until we're there, until we meet him, until I go home. But each person, each person that is faith-filled and Holy Ghost led on this earth has a small piece of God's personality imprinted on them. And every time we come in contact with one of those people, we get to meet him again in a new way. And it's so rad. That's so cool. But the closer that we get to Jesus, the more of our junk we have to look at, right? So unfortunately, a lot of times we meet someone that has a new thing and we see something new about Jesus, which forces us to look at something in ourself. And a lot of times you're threatened by that right away. And so you kind of push it off. But I just, I, I try so hard to just encourage people. Like, I know I'm challenging to look at for a lot of people. Hmm. Um, I know I'm challenging to hear for a lot of people. Up on that TikTok, bro, there's a lot of dudes that say women can't be pastors. There's a lot of women that say women can't be pastors. 
And just me being a female is, is hard to swallow. So me being a female in a, in a male dominated career in a male dominated um, ministry platform and looking the way that I look is like chokeable for some, but I mean, that's what he's asking me to do is show them something different about me. So I will. Awesome. So as we wrap this thing up, I kind of have one more question and that is, what would you say to the person who is an, is an alcoholic is struggling with substance abuse or any kind of addiction and they're looking at you and they're just like, I don't know how to get to where she's at. I don't think it's possible. I am too far gone in this thing. What message would you have for them? It is so, so important to let others look at our garbage. Hmm. So earlier I spoke about having people in my life that, that I was the paralyzed man, right? Hmm. They carried me to the place where Jesus was, where he was preaching. They put all that energy and effort and they climbed me up onto the top of the roof. They ripped the tiles back and they dropped me down. Now, listen, a man who had been paralyzed, a woman who had been paralyzed for 30 years and Jesus says, get up, Mm. that's awkward to look at. Like if you physically imagine that in your mind, someone who has been paralyzed for 30 years and is starting to stand, it's awkward. Mm. It's uncomfortable to watch. There's tension there. But. We have to show people what we look like standing, Mm. the awkward parts, the hard parts. Now, when this man stands up, Jesus says, and not a lot of people like to talk about this part of, of this passage, but Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and go home. Our, that mat, that mat is our testimony. That mat is our story. He says, carry it with you. He doesn't say, throw it under your bed when you're done. He doesn't say, hide it in the closet. So every person that I get the opportunity to speak to, I roll that mat out and let them know what I looked like before. Because if they can see how bad, how far I was, and they can see where I am now, there's got to be a sliver of hope in there for somebody. There has to be, because I literally was dead. Mm. Like, I was I was paralyzed. I was a, a fragment of a human being. But now, and this is just the beginning of my story. That's the most amazing part of all of this is, I mean, I've only been walking with him for, it'll be five years this year. And look at what he's done. Like, we have to show people our garbage. We can't just show them the good because then there's nothing, 
nothing to hold on to if it's all pretty. When someone's sitting in a trash pile and you're showing them a mansion, it seems unfathomable. It seems unreachable. But that is the point of going through the things that we go through and surviving and healing through them. So when we are led by the Lord, we can step backwards and sit with another person in their trash. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, You know, the reason why we don't show people our garbage is because we still believe we're the same person. We might be further on down the road, but we're still the same person that did all those old things. And the reason why I can tell people about my junk is because that guy that was dead now is actually dead. And I am a new creature and I'm a new creation. When he says the old is gone, behold, the new has come. And then he says, he who knew no sin became sin so that you might be the righteousness of God. I was not. And now I am. And the difference is Jesus. So you are a completely new person. You were dead and now you're alive. And you can tell me about that dead person because it's not you. And this is the part. No, it's like I'm talking about an old house. Yeah. And people don't get it because they don't believe that their heart hasn't has been changed. And the reason they don't believe their heart's been changed is because they're still experiencing the same thing and their circumstances are similar. But when you start believing that he has done it because he did it 2000 years ago, that you are healed, that you are righteous, that you do have every spiritual blessing. When you start to believe that over your circumstances or your behavior, your circumstances and your behavior change. So if you're talking to an alcoholic and you're just like, bro, if you believe in Jesus, this means this about you. You're no longer this thing. Then there's a chance for some belief to set in. Well, and recovery, that's that's our biggest mission with people over profit is that's that's the biggest mission that God's put on our heart in this ministry is teaching people that secular recovery says addiction issues or chemical dependency issues, right? Jesus, recovery through Jesus says that we all live in a broken world and we all have things that we need to recover from. And the only way to recover from hurts, traumas, chemical dependency issues, mental health issues. Um, The only way to recover from those things is together through Christ. I am saved to serve Christ and others. We all need recovery. And as soon as people can start to look at that and go, I need recovery too. Like, whoa. And we start doing it together recovery and our our walk our faith walk Jesus taught us this he shows us very clearly in the bible a map of what this looks like gather them around you teach them walk with them create disciples that's mm. what we do in recovery it just so happens that most of the time at church people don't want to show each other their garbage mm. but if if people did that more Bro, Mm. there'd be 
there'd be healing everywhere. So listen, I, all I know is what God told me. Mm. And he said that in one season, people will, he said this to me through my pastor, Michael Todd in one season right now, people look at me and say, this woman is crazy. But in another season, they are going to look back at me and say, that woman had crazy faith. Like the only thing, the most important thing to me in my whole life on earth is being a woman, a wife and a mother of strong faith and walking in my anointing. Mm. And I will take anything that comes along with that. Because if if I don't have Jesus leading leading my life, if I don't have that amazing relationship with him, I have nothing. Mm. Like nothing nothing else matters. I say this in in recovery a lot because you know, where that just happened to be something that I struggled with was alcohol. I I have another drunk in me. I could go back out right now and I'd have a lot of fun. But listen, I don't have another sober in me. I don't have it. So I will spend the rest of my life fighting to keep to keep my sobriety and show that fight to other people. I will spend the rest of my life trying to keep my peace and my joy and showing it to other people because it's, it's the only way that, that we do this thing together. We have to do it in truth. And that means like you seeing the truth of what my life looks like, even when it's not pretty. Well, let me just say this and I want to encourage you. Um, You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You had a heart of stone. You have a heart of flesh. You can do it all because you've been through it all. And your life, Dallas, is a testimony to me um, that God is love. Like, I see your life. And like I just said, you're a city on a hill. And you're flavoring this whole thing because your, yours is a testimony, not that you're a fighter and you're, that you're, yours is a testimony that you received God's love and it transformed your life. Yeah. And so I just want to encourage you with that because um, this message is not going to be stopped. It's going to get out from you. It's going to get out from me. It's going to get out from people whose lives have been transformed by God's love. That, that he forgave them before they even asked for it. And yeah. they believe he's changed their heart. So I want to thank you so much for coming on this thing. This was a huge blessing to me. And I just appreciate you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I just, any, any time that someone wants to give me the opportunity to talk about how rad Jesus is like, I'm about it. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. I I appreciate you. I really appreciate what you're doing. This is, this is kingdom work, dude. And you're out here doing it. And I see you. Praise the Lord.
Till we make it to the moon It's too late, can't stop it, it's a boom No, I cannot wait till you approve I got people with me on the other side Spirit on me too bright, I see they tryna ride Coming out for the night, yeah, it's that come alive Coming out for the fight, yeah, we stay alive We stay alive, ayy Ayy, ayy, put your hands down Ayy, we ain't coming questions, yeah, we bend down Creed, I am Adonis, watch the hands now Went from thinking broke to living rich now Ayy, busting with the twos, you watch me slide now Ayy, she look kinda bougie and she bad now Ayy, mama think I made it, is you proud now? Ayy, ayy With the spirits trying to play with me uh, uh, finna go shoot Can't stop till we make it to the moon It's too late, can stop it, it's a boom No, I cannot wait till you approve I got people with me on the other side Spirit on me too bright, I see they tryna ride Coming out for the night, yeah, it's that come alive Coming out for the fight, yeah, we stay alive We stay alive, ayy